1: Welcome everyone to F1 Nation with Tom Clarkson and Natalie Pinkham. This is our preview to the Canadian Grand Prix and we're going to hear from legendary safety car driver Bert Maylander ahead of a special anniversary later in the show. But first, Pinks, we've not spoken to you since the Spanish Grand Prix where you were busy presenting for Sky and Max Verstappen won for the 40th time. In his career and extended his championship lead to 53 points so Pinkle what did you make
2: of the race this is history in the making i think we have to appreciate the fact that we are witnessing something very special with this man's career and we're lucky enough to be part of that process to be on the sidelines and it's something we'll tell our grandchildren about this is a very very talented driver in a very very special car dominating now i know others will go yeah but it's so boring well, you know, Formula One is cyclical. People and teams hit purple patches and we should enjoy it for what it is, a feat of engineering and sporting brilliance. For me, the race behind was thrilling as well. It was great to see uh, George come through from 12th to take a podium and Lewis really look in a groove like he's really enjoying racing again. And is it Mercedes turning a corner? Well, time will tell, but it was thrilling to see. And I, look, I know that Spain doesn't necessarily produce always the most gripping of races, but I think this race had enough subplots in it to make it utterly compelling.
1: I completely agree. I thought it was one of the better Spanish Grand Prix we've had since 1991. And of course, the race has been there every year since then. Max Verstappen was the driver of the day, wasn't he? It was emphatic out the front. But behind him, who was your driver of the day last weekend?
2: I think I'm going to have to go for George Russell, because I think he had a very difficult day in quali. He was beating himself up about the contact with Lewis. He was able to shrug that off and come through despite the pouring rain inside his helmet. He was able to, <laughs> to see beyond the sweat and pull it through for a podium. You know, that was, that was great. But I thought Lewis as well was equally deserving because his second place never looked in doubt. Okay, but it's still a long way off first. It still represents a massive step forward for Mercedes.
1: Uh, great minds think alike. He was my driver of the day on last week's show as well.
2: I know. I listened to the show. I'm just
1: <laughs> But when we think about Max, Pinks, you deal with him every weekend. Do you feel he's changed at all over the last 18 months? Do you feel he's still getting better? Is he an even more complete package now than he was last year?
2: He has changed. I think he's even more relaxed. He's taking it all in his stride. He's absolutely dominating. My only concern is, is that he really wants others to be in the fight with him and I don't want him to get bored. <laughs> I want to see him fighting others. I want to see wheel-to-wheel racing and I want to see him thoroughly enthralled the fight ahead of him because that's when we see the best racing I don't think it serves anyone that he's so far ahead
1: I agree and I think for as long as he's winning he'll deal with this but when Red Bull are so far ahead and he's being beaten by let's say Checo Perez I think he struggles with that but he would relish he would relish Lewis Hamilton giving him a fight I get your point too about him being relaxed. I think he has so much spare capacity in that car. And therefore I actually think we still haven't seen what that Red Bull can really do this year. You know. Picks him being able to identify Helmut Marco's ringtone <laughs> during practice shows just how you know what I mean, he's not on the edge. There's definitely more performance in that car. I know it was only a practice session, but I think it's frightening to think what they can still achieve, and, and can they still win every race this year? The pack is closing up, undoubtedly. You just said a moment ago they were, what, 23, 25 seconds ahead of the second-place car in, in Spain. Uh, I think Fernando Alonso was 35 seconds behind at the opening race in Bahrain. So the gap is getting smaller, but is it going to close enough before the end of this season? It's, it's going to get closer Undoubtedly, but just the dominance of Red Bull, as you say, let's celebrate it. It's Tiger Woods and its pomp, it's Man City doing their thing now. Celebrate it for what it is. It is sporting excellence, and I'm loving it. But I am one of these people, Pinks, who who finds every Grand Prix exciting. I just, I, I love being there. I love the atmosphere. I love seeing these guys ply their trade. It's a privilege just to be there.
2: Now, TC, Christian Horner has said the pressure is now off Sergio Perez. I actually disagree. The pressure may be off only in the sense that, oh, well, I'm out of this world championship. Well, that's not pressure off. That's massive despondency. That is sort of sucking the wind out of his sails. I think that makes the pressure ramp up in a different way because he has to prove that he's worthy of this seat, albeit a second seat within Max's team. I think it's a very different feeling for him now, and it's one that he will not be enjoying.
1: What Horner, I think, actually means is the pressure is off Christian Horner because he's no longer got to deal with two guys. Who do we favour? Who do we not favour? It is clear now that Max Verstappen is the one that is going to win the world championship for them. So that sort of political hot potato is out the window now and it's not a management issue for Red Bull. And I think you make a really good point. I think Perez has... Underperformed, And I think you only get to the top in elite sport, any sport, but especially Formula One, where you, you have to be competitive with yourself. It's all about achieving at the highest level. And, and Perez has been left wanting. And that, as you say, creates pressure, especially when you have drivers like Lando Norris, who are, you know, have flirted with Red Bull in the past. Okay, he's got a long term contract with McLaren. We'll come on to that later in the show. But there are other worthy drivers out there of that second seat at Red Bull. And we've seen time and again in Formula One that driver contracts aren't worth the paper they're written on. If, you know, if two parties want to do a deal, it will happen. So Perez has got to keep performing in a support role. It's a sort of nothing role now as well. He's got to keep performing to show that he's worthy of the seat. But equally, he's got to be the team player as well. So it's a really frustrating second half of the season for Perez coming up, I think.
2: I don't know. I mean, he's still in the best car. He's still got the opportunity to gather in a handful more wins, which is great for his career tally. He'd rather be there than out of the sport, which was the alternative for him a couple of years ago. I understand that he will be frustrated because he probably felt at certain points, particularly after notching up a couple of wins at the start of this season, that he was in with a chance of winning this championship. But as you say, you have to be delivering every time, not just when things fall in your favour. And it feels to me that's exactly what Max Verstappen does. He pulls victory from the jewels of defeat, not the other way around. He is able to deliver when the chips are down and pull through. Like all the greats, Lewis Hamilton he is always at his best when the pressure is really on and his back's against the wall. And I think that's what separates the good from the great drivers.
1: Yeah, and and Perez started the Spanish Grand Prix 11th and made his way up to 5th. And you do find yourself wondering, had that been Verstappen starting 11th, how high would he have got? I, I would certainly reckon he would have got onto the podium. And I think he probably would have won the race, actually, in that car.
2: Couldn't agree more.
0: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts.
3: Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Get
0: ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code
1: PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. So round nine in Montreal, such a legendary racetrack. This we've the sport's been racing there since 1978. It's part of the the heritage and history. And it looks, by the way, that uh, the smoke and the wildfires that have devastated parts of that part of North America are starting to ease. And the air quality that's been affecting some of the, the cities on the East Coast is easing as well so I think the race is not in danger which is fantastic news and as for the on track action if the race is as dramatic as some of our previous trips to Montreal then we're in for a real treat
0: well he's rewriting the book of what is possible in Formula 1 if he can do this after 6 races what might he achieve in the future Lewis Hamilton wins Surely the first of many for Lewis Hamilton. The world is at his feet. Here comes Daniel Ricciardo on Nico Rosberg. Ricciardo takes the lead in Canada. Unbelievable as the crowd cheers massively, it might be Daniel Ricciardo's first ever win in Formula One. Hamilton has smashed into the back of Raikkonen on their way out of the pit stop And that is an unbelievable thing to happen in this Grand Prix. I said this was the most unpredictable race of the year. It always is. Sebastian Vettel has been given a five second time penalty for an unsafe re-entry and forcing another driver off the track. Seriously, you need to be an absolute blind man to think that you can go through the grass and
3: then control your car. This is a wrong world. This is not fair.
0: This is where he had his enormous accident last year that many people thought might have killed him. He went on his head at 185 miles an hour. Robert Kubica heads a BMW 1-2. Robert Kubica wins in Canada. He takes the lead in the Drivers' World Championship and a star is well and truly born. I think Patel's got weight. Yeah, he's got weight. He turned in too late. He got the tyres. Button leads the Grand Prix. Sebastian Vettel turned in with his tyres just touching the waters. And Jensen Button, after a, an awful afternoon with so many things going
1: wrong for him, leads this amazing Canadian Grand Prix.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Guys, that was a hell of a race. A hell of a race.
2: That was a hell of a race. That was my favourite. I mean, honestly, that JB win will always go down as my favourite Canadian Grand Prix. I mean, it had everything, didn't it?
1: 2011, longest race in Formula One history. Rain, just like I've never seen. And JB comes through to win, taking the lead on the last lap, as we just heard. But what about this year, Pinkle? You know, Mercedes have just come from a double podium in Spain. Are they going to repeat it? Is this them finally getting their mojo back? Or, like last year, was Spain just a sort of false dawn?
2: Yeah, it's difficult to say, isn't it? Hamilton said it's the best the car has felt since the start of 2022. He is obviously hopeful of challenging Red Bull potentially by the end of the season. And maybe it's more about next year as well. It feels as if it's progress, but let's not get ahead of ourselves because it could be. A step in the right direction but we may see a couple of shuffles back this is obviously a very very different track to barcelona very different proposition it'd be in- very very interesting to see what happens this weekend but i don't think we should get carried away at this stage
1: yeah and and andrew Shovlin, their tech chief at the racetrack has come out and said look i don't think Montreal is going to suit our car like it did Barcelona the car seems to perform well on front limited tracks like Barcelona expect it to be quick at Silverstone whereas where you've got lots of slow corners and lots of hard acceleration which you have in Montreal that's where it's not going to be quite as good so let's wait and see let's also not forget that they finished third and fourth last year Hamilton and Russell so they came off the back of a a strong race in, in Barcelona last year and were able to sort of keep a little bit of momentum going but it is it's a unique track this and it requires a lot of precision by the drivers all those high speed chicanes you've got to you've actually got to launch the car to help it sort of change direction so i'm told but you need to be inch perfect and get it wrong and you will end up in the wall right let's have a quiz pinks yeah the wall of champions the wall of champions
2: the wall that bites back
1: Right, give me some names. Who's crashed into that
3: wall of
2: champions? Oh, well, obviously the, f- <laughs> the first one I'd think of is Damon. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. You couldn't turn up for the podcast this morning, so we're going to go for you.
1: Right, do you remember his interview, actually, after? It was 1999, and I think, I don't. it wasn't you, Pinks, was it? I think it may have been Louise Goodman who said, Damon, tell us what happened. <laughs> I crashed. <laughs> I, <think that's, laughs> I hit the wall and I crashed. nerves done it. Jensen. Uh, Michael Schumacher has done it. Jensen's done it. Um, Sebastian Vettel has done it. It lures drivers in, doesn't it? You're you're desperate to get a really clean exit because there's a bit of a straight afterwards. And if you get a little bit too greedy, you do a Damon.
2: <laughs> Let's call it doing a Damon. Get greedy, do a Damon.
1: But on the topic of Mercedes, they have actually, along with Ferrari, been busy testing in Barcelona since the last race. And so they've had a little bit more of an opportunity to put that new package through its paces it was actually a Pirelli test and uh, Mick Schumacher got his first run in the car as well which was good to see I thought it was interesting too actually in Barcelona that Toto Wolff and Lewis both praised the job that Mick Schumacher's been doing on the simulator this year so I think he was there on the Friday night of Spain until on the simulator till midnight then got up at 5am to fly to the track so Mick's you know, putting in the hard yards and obviously being very impressive.
2: Yeah, I've heard a lot of positive feedback on Mick. I wonder if this is all part of a ploy to get him back on the grid for next year. Uh, Where he'd go isn't entirely clear, but I know that he's very likable and he's been working very hard, so it's good to hear. Now, TC, one team that sort of underdelivered and it was a bit of a damp squib really given how much we'd built them up were Aston Martin. And huge amount of anticipation coming into Barcelona that Fernando could possibly even get his elusive 33rd career win in front of a home crowd, but the double podium for Mercedes means that they've actually moved ahead of Aston Martin by 18 points in the constructors' championship. Because Lance Stroll, he did out-qualify and beat his teammate for the first time this season, but he could only manage sixth, and it was a season's worst result for Fernando Alonso in P7. But Fernando's not too concerned.
1: Do you feel that the Aston Martin hype train and the Fernando Alonso hype train slightly ran out of steam this weekend? And is that going to happen again in Canada, or are you ready to load it up again? It
3: will not happen again.
1: Oh, thank goodness this you've told me that. This the
3: last race without podium. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Pinks, his fighting spirit is extraordinary. I know he, uh, he made that comment to Rosanna Tennant with a smile on his face. But you also know, you know, there's a steely determination. We will crush them, you know. <laughs> yeah. And importantly, Aston Martin have their biggest upgrade of the year so far coming to Montreal. Technical director Dan Fallows is going to be there. Just to oversee things. The last race he was at was in Miami, where Alonso was incredibly bullish after the race, saying it was their most competitive race of the season so far. So Dan, I think, is very good at just helping uh, the engineering team there lay the foundations for a good weekend on a Friday. They've got this upgrade coming. Alonso, you know, he's got the wind in his sails by the looks of things. He's got a great record in Canada. Remember, only last year he started on the front row. Oh. So watch out for Alonso.
2: Yeah. And and actually, Fernando is angry with himself. And an angry Alonso is an even more tenacious one and uh, defiant, as you say. So I think he's going to come back stronger for it.
1: And let's not forget that the reason they underperformed in Spain, as far as I could see, was because of the mistake he made in Q1, put him through the gravel, damaged his floor, wasn't able to get it together for the rest of qualifying. If he'd had a clean qualifying, he would have started much, much higher up the grid than eighth. And I think he would have probably finished on the podium and beaten at least one Mercedes. So it was a blip. And then with these upgrades, I think they're going to be a real force. And I think if you are... Alpine, who have had a very strong last couple of races, particularly in the hands of Esteban Ocon. Uh, I think you'll be concerned about the pace of Aston Martin in Montreal.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've been expecting close fights between Mercedes and Aston Martin throughout the season. But what about Alpine? I mean, they really have turned a corner, haven't they, since Baku and that, that uh, public criticism from their CEO, Lauren Rossi? I think that was coincidental, by the way. Uh, I, you know, you don't just suddenly come good because, because you get told off in front of the world. But I think that double points finish for them in Miami. And then again, last time out, you've seen real pace in the car. And these are two talented drivers in Ocon and Gasly. And they finished in the points in each of the last three races. And that has in turn moved them 23 points clear of McLaren. That was originally the battle that we thought they were in, but it's so interesting TC because the back of the grid in many ways is more volatile than the middle or the front. From race to race weekend, you just don't know who's going to come out on top. And that makes it thrilling to watch, but also probably quite frustrating if you're in one of the teams because you just don't know where you are at the moment. It's so tight in the midfield and at the back.
1: It's so close. You're absolutely right. And, and your point about Laurent Rossi's criticism and the upturn in performance is bang on. Those The upgrades that they bought to Monaco would have been in the pipeline for many weeks prior to arriving, prior, way prior to any comments made by Laurent Rossi. So the car improvements were already in the system. One thing I would say is that I think the bond between Laurel Rossi and Esteban Ocon is very close. Remember that it was Rossi who signed Ocon a couple of years ago on a long-term contract. When he he was being shown the way by Daniel Ricciardo at the time, and I think a lot of people questioned the wisdom of putting him on such a long-term contract. So I think... A sort of motivational speech from Rossi, if it's going to affect anybody and and really motivate anyone, I I can see it's going to have an effect on Ocon more than anyone else. Because in a way, Esteban owes owes him his career. Remember that he was dropped by uh, Racing Point, had to sit a year out as Mercedes' third reserve driver. And it was only Alpine that brought him back into the mix. So therefore, he owes that team everything. And I think he feels a, a particularly strong bond to Rossi.
2: And switching it over to McLaren now, we were so excited, weren't we, with their qualifying pace. And for Lando to start the race from P3, I don't think he ever expected to hold position and it was going to be a, a hugely difficult race for him to defend against those cars behind. But it was oh, just so disappointing when he had contact at the start of the race with Lewis and that sort of put pay to any chances that he had of a strong finish. But it was the team's fourth Pointless, not pointless in every sense of the word, but literally pointless weekend of the season in Spain. And they can't seem to match their race pace with their quali pace. Although maybe Spain was somewhat misleading in that, to that extent.
1: Christian Maynard said uh, on last week's show, Pinks, that in, in a McLaren media briefing after qualifying, Lando said that he expected to be lapped twice. By Max Verstappen. So I think he knew that the race pace wasn't going to be there. And also that the conditions of Barcelona were very specific during qualifying. The cooler temperatures helped the car, the the flat racetrack helped the car because they were able to lower the ride height. And so therefore it just, it was a perfect storm. And then of course, Sunday was much hotter and the race pace just went away. And what was it? Piastri was 13th and Norris was 17th after that contact with Hamilton. But let's hope they go better.
0: With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Right, everyone, let's bring in this week's special guest.
0: We've got our first safety car of the evening. Can the safety car go faster? We're driving a hundred. Safety car probably can't go much faster, and I'm sure Bert Meyerlander is more than capable of doing so, but he's not in a Formula One car. He's in an Aston Martin Vantage uh, for the course of this weekend.
1: Yes, it's the driver of the FIA safety car. Bernd Maylander. Yeah, hi together.
3: get her.
2: Well, it is a significant anniversary this weekend. 50 years since the safety car was first seen in Formula One at the 73 Canadian Grand Prix. So tell us how the role that you've conducted so brilliantly over the last 23 years, just so listeners know, Bernd has not been there all 50. <laughs> He's looking good on it if he has. So just tell us how how the role has evolved and really what your challenges are.
3: Well, when, when I started in 99 with Formula 3000, when Charlie Whiting asked me, Bernd, can you drive the safety car? Can you cover Formula 3000? At that time, um, for me, it was completely new. I was racing. Sometimes I saw the safety car in front of me, but sometimes help. Most of the time, not really, because then you have to drive slow. You have to follow the car. And it started in a very spectacular way in, in 99. And then from 2000 onwards, uh, I covered all the races, uh, F1, f uh, 3,000 or later on GP2, then Formula 2. Business-wise, it changed a lot. The communication gets much more. Uh, so we improved. We learned a lot in the last uh, 23 years. It was always high professional, but even uh, now it's you have more details. You never will really see the safety car f- in front of a field for 34 laps, what we did in Canada in 2011. So if we know by the FI, if we know it takes a while, it takes more than, let's say, 10 laps we will show the red flag. If there's a big accident, we will show the red flag. So it changed a lot in the safety direction. I think that's very, very important for all of us. Sometimes the decisions are not always so easy, but we always try to do our best from the situation.
2: Now, Bert, we often hear the drivers complaining that you're not going quick enough. And what I want to know is, do you feel a pressure from that? Because I feel like saying, oh, just leave him alone. He's doing his job. What is your speed limit? In those moments, and do the drivers have any kind of recourse? Can they come to you afterwards and give you feedback? And can you respond to that feedback and amend how you drive as a result?
3: I I can't hear the drivers, so that's uh, already a good good thing. (laughs) That's a good Um, thing because (laughs) um, maybe I would I would talk to them. Hey guys, I have the advice from race control to drive slower, and that's um, I don't want to say that's a problem, but race control they have the complete overview. Uh, what happens on the track? What is the accident? Where is the oxi- accident? If there's gravel on the track, is the track blocked? And I think in that moment, the drivers stay not thinking about that because they are focused what they have to do. So keep the performance, keep the tire temperature and pressure on the right level to get ready for the restart. That's the next for a race driver. He's thinking, okay, what do I have to do for the for the restart? They don't think, okay, uh, can we pass the accident or is it blocked? But they're not thinking about that. I get this information and I get also the information, burned Drive slower, we need more time, we have to clean up the track. We don't want to go for five or six or seven laps. We just want to go for three laps, let's say. And that's why we have to drive slower and safety first. But for me, perfect moments are, let's let's say, when I can go flat out. That means even on a straight. Like in Baku, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we went up to 280. And still the cars behind me, they've been driving zigzag to keep the tires warm. If I do that, I'm, I'm not there anymore formula one speed it's unbelievable you can't believe it it's round about eight to ten seconds per kilometer if i'm going flat out in a gt black series still a formula one car is eight to ten seconds quicker per kilometer and that's yeah un- unbelievable
2: i feel like the safety car needs its own safety car calm you down sometimes
3: <laughs> uh well i i i enjoy it and um for sure, you're you're operating on the limit, especially on the rain conditions. And that's uh, very tricky, big, tricky moments. If you have a track like uh, Monaco and it starts to rain, you have to be very, very focused what you're doing. Because if you have a crash in a safety car, it's still a road car. We have, uh, for sure, all safety things inside. But still, you're sitting in a road car, not in a race car, and not even in a Formula One car. So you have to find the right balance between... Proper speed and and safety. Let's say for, like, you're doing a 24 hour race, so you have to take the jacket flag. And that's what I'm trying to do since 24 years now. I'm not, can't win the race. I just try to do my job as good as possible. Now, in
1: 23 years, you've never spun the safety car, which is a great record.
2: DC. Which
1: is a great record. Don't tempt
2: Providence, (laughs) please.
1: But I'm going to ask you this, Ben have you ever had a near drama and i'm actually going to remind you of one particular race it happened years ago so you can tell us the truth now the 2007 japanese grand prix it was at fuji speedway the conditions were awful i mean really heavy rain couldn't even see mount fuji let alone uh, the summit you led the opening 19 laps of that race and i remember sitting next to people going he's going to run out of fuel. He's going to run out of fuel in the safety car. What are they going to do? And of course, you then come into the pits and we go racing, but I'm not sure the conditions had improved that much. So were you about to run out of fuel? Can you answer me that question now,
3: all these years later? Yeah, just, uh, yeah, uh, that was uh, really for me, it was a new track. Um, I never been in Fuji before. Uh, it was horrible weather on Sunday. We've been not really sure if you can even start the race, and uh, I get deployed. Uh, we did a couple of laps and just get a feeling. And already my co-driver Peter Tippets at that time, he said, "Oh, Ben, we're doing a lot of laps." And I said, "Yeah, but we have to just keep an eye on on the fuel." And I saw that it was half. It was less than half. And I said to Herbie Plesh on the radio, to the deputy race director, I said, "Herbie, how many laps we have to go?" And he said, "Well, let's let's see. The weather is still bad." And I said, okay. So, uh, just for your information, I think after five, six laps, maybe we were running out of fuel. And it was a CLK 63, so quite powerful, strong, big engine. Fuel consumption, for sure, it was not perfect, but under race conditions, yeah, you need a little bit more fuel. And, and and luckily, they told us, okay, safety car in next lap. We try to start for a regular start, and I we we just get into I. Informed the team that we swapped the cars. We jumped out from one, jumped in the other one for the spare car. We call it spare car, but it's not a spare car. It's exactly the same car. We've been running down to the end of the pit lane in our parking position. And then Luis and Fernando, they crashed uh in turn five or six. I can't remember the corner number. And so there was the next safety car. I was on, on the track again. And uh, so luckily, but then in the second session, I was just on the track, I think for five, six laps. And everything was safe, but this was really—I never had this situation. I and mean, when you're running out of fuel, you know, it's not like uh, you make an accident, you make a mistake. But what can you do? And uh, Herbie was already thinking, okay, we sent a medical car on track and whatever. So they tried to prepare some some backups, what we never had or we never thought about that. And uh, but in the end, everything went well. Uh, we right now we're still doing the same procedure if something like this happens to keep everyone safe. How many laps have you led in Formula One? Do you count? Well, not by myself. I hear this sometimes from journalists. Uh, they're telling me, Bernd, now you we'll led more than eight or nine hundred laps." Uh, that, that's yeah, that's a great number. But after 23 years, it's uh, kind of of normal. But I never count. I'm I'm happy to count the grand prix, and even that I have to ask some journalists. Uh, do you know how many grand prix I've did? And they telling me the number is 435, something like this. In the moment.
2: Amazing, that is amazing. Be, be honest, though, Burnt. are you disappointed to have never been voted driver of the day? Because frankly, I think you deserve it. Oh
3: uh, yeah, but, but you know, in, in my age, you don't really look for
2: that. I think you you are honorary driver of the day, isn't that right, T C?
1: Definitely, definitely. Particularly somewhere like Canada, where twelve of the last twenty races have had one or more safety cars. <laughs> On that
3: basis, we might get another one this weekend. In the end, I'm always ready whatever happens uh if we just talk about canada yeah i remember the accident of uh, robert kubica at that time we sent the safety car on track right now in the modern formula one world we will show immediately a red flag Uh, i think not not even a safety car will deploy it uh the medical car for sure but uh, even that we covered 20 years ago or really 20 years ago by a safety car that never will happen right now in the modern formula one seasons yeah or Grand Prix but Montreal yeah it's always spectacular it's a great place it's um, one of my favorite Grand Prix so yeah let's see how many laps i do and a serious question you've done this for 23 years how much longer it's quite funny i get this this question more and more <laughs> uh in my brain i still feel like let's say i'm 40 years old body wise yes i can feel a few things to chat like it's not getting easier but my motivation, I still the same guy on the grid than 24 years ago. I'm still nervous. I still check everything. I'm I'm really into it. It doesn't matter if it's a Formula One race or a, a, sm- a smaller category like Formula Two, Formula Three. I'm still try to do my best. And everything what you talking or thinking before or start uh, of a race. Uh, if the lights are off, everything can happen, and you have to get ready all the time. You have to be ready and. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I've been on holiday for this weekend, and like everyone knows, we had a big race in Le Mans. I think from these twenty-four hours, I covered eighteen hours by streaming uh, just to see what happened. What did Mrs. Maylander have to say about that? You've just been on holiday, and you spent eighteen hours watching Le Mans. Yep, just by sight, just maybe listening, or just, just you know, <laughs> well, she she knows she knows me since um, ninety-nine. Um, I, I'm really sure that's why she married me.
1: <laughs> I, I tell you what could, I don't could, know
3: I'm not sure but uh, yeah she said well that's my life and she's uh, yeah she's having she's me a lot in that way um, and that's I think very very important
2: it's her life it's also your life but did you imagine that to be the case I mean I can't think as a, a young boy growing up that you would dedicate a quarter of a century to driving a safety car but it's it's a crucial job and one that you do incredibly well and we're hugely grateful for but did you set out to do this I mean it, it's kind of an interesting career development for you
3: for sure not in the beginning but first of all thanks to saying that, that I'm doing a great job when, when I started in 99 I was really sure I'm not doing this for 24 years even not in 2000 or 2001 I think it started to Developed, I think that's the important thing. I'm always interested in things where you have a, a big improvement, even if the basic still looks the same. But you get partners. You see how the FAA, how they developed, how they get bigger and bigger, and what's happened with Formula One. So I've seen the great times of Michael Schumacher on the beginnings of 2000, and even with Mika and before, and then Fernando and all the new, all the drivers coming up. And I think everything together. It was fantastic. That's still why I'm I'm really into it. I think well, April this year was a really bad month for me because uh, when they took China out, I didn't really know what what I'm doing on in April. For sure, there's the family. Yeah, that's an important part, but also my job. It's uh, it's my my life, and that's when I decided when I stopped racing in 2005. Uh, I decided, okay, that's that's a job you can do it really long, and that's very interesting. You. I think all of us in Formula 1, we have uh, nearly the same DNA, and that's why we still love to travel, for sure. Sometimes it's not easy, but we are really on the lucky side to cover a job like we do. Like, everyone is doing their own part. I think that's very, very important, that we love, that what we want to do.
1: Now it's time for one of our favourite sections of the show, Ask the Nation. It's your opportunity to ask us anything you want to know about Formula One. We've only got time for one question this week and it's from Celia Davenport from Elizabethstown in Pennsylvania and she asks
2: this. I was following the Le Mans 24 Hour over the weekend. What an amazing track. Will there ever be a Grand Prix there?
1: Before we come on to whether there's going to be a Grand Prix there, can we just celebrate what happened at the weekend Ferrari winning Le Mans for the first time in 58 years since 1965 Antonio Giovinazzi rem- remember him everyone listening you know great guy he didn't get a proper crack at Formula One I felt he was in the winning Ferrari along- alongside James Collado another Brit who I rated very highly uh, in GP2 so so fantastic to see what's happened there uh, over the weekend, and John Elkin was there supporting the team. So, the Ferrari hypercar is a serious bit of kit.
3: Absolutely, and I think if you look to to this championship, um, it's it's fantastic how they growed uh, with the new or uh, new the new system. So, absolutely fantastic, and it's always great watching Le Mans. That's the biggest the biggest race, the biggest twenty four hour race. So, uh, I'm happy that Ferrari won, uh, especially with uh, Antonio, because he he was really pushing hard, Ferrari was pushing hard Well, Toyota got um, the BOP was a little bit harsh for them what they get on uh, I think Friday to get a little bit slower but yeah that's that's the BOP, that's the sport but in the end we saw a fantastic race, poor Porsche in the, in the end but uh, yeah you have to take the jacket flag on a 24 hour race. If you are driving really on the limit, if you have to push so much, even in Formula 1 slightly mistake um, and then you crash and then you're out so I think they have done a brilliant job Back to your question, if we see on this track a Formula One race, I don't really think uh, because it's too quick, it's too long. Uh, this, I think we should have 28 laps, something like that, or if there are maximum 30 laps. I think that doesn't really work. But uh, let's see where we where we end up. And of course, the
1: first ever Grand Prix in 1906 was held at Le Mans. It was won uh, by a Hungarian called Ferenc Szisz in a Renault. But of course, that's where it all began. It wasn't just the first French Grand Prix. It was the first ever Grand Prix. But, Bernd, I've got one final question. I think they need a safety car driver in the new Brad Pitt Formula One film.
3: Have you been approached? I heard about something that there is, something is going on with Hollywood. Uh, uh, Let's see. I I know a few dates where I have to drive something, but... uh, Let's see what's happened in the end. I'm really looking forward uh, for this project, but I'm not really sure what will be my part. It looks like I have a ah, safety car. But uh, let's see what uh,
1: what will coming up. You're going to be a massive hit. You're going to have to start house hunting in Hollywood before you know it, man. <laughs> I've never been in Hollywood, but let's maybe I'm a part of a Hollywood movie.
2: <laughs>
1: oh, but thanks for your time. It's great to catch up. Thank you, and Thank we'll see you, you in so Canada. So much, brilliant. Thank you. All the best. Thanks for your question, Celia. Great to hear from you. And please keep all of your questions coming, preferably as a voice note, but written form is okay too. Send what you've got to askthenation at f1.com. We look forward to hearing from you.
2: Well, great to speak to Bernd as ever. He gives us such an insight, doesn't he? And one of the unsung heroes of Formula One, I have to say. We will be singing from the rooftops about him and happy anniversary to the safety car this weekend in Canada. Now, great to see success from Ferrari in Le Mans, but the same can't be said in Formula One because it was another tough weekend for them in Barcelona. We haven't talked about it yet, TC. Signs I thought, could have been on for a podium. I always thought it was too tall an order for Leclerc going into that race. You saw the Red Bull attempting to carve its way through the pack, but The same can't be said for the Ferrari, just didn't seem to have any pace on Sunday.
1: It's the age-old problem. It's a really good car over one lap, as proven by by Carlos, as you say. He lines up on the front row alongside Max. The moment you go racing, it's tyre deg and it just drops backwards. And just the extent of their problems was proven by Charles Leclerc, who started in the pit lane on the hard tyre. You know, there was some speculation that how much of that race is he going to do on the hard tire was he going to try and one stop it and yet on lap 17 they pull him in because the car's just not performing on the hard tire let alone the medium or the soft so even with the upgrades that they brought to barcelona and it was a substantial upgrade you know they've gone towards the aston martin side pods it's still not a great race car so it's going to be hard for them until they sort that out. Fred Vasseur, who was also at Le Mans last weekend, supporting the Ferrari hypercar programme, but he's already said that they're not going to do a B-spec car or something verging on that. They're just going to stick with the concept they've got, which makes me think they're going to have the same problem that they've had for the last 18 months for the remainder of this year. Yes, it's going to be quick and at some tracks, maybe like a Hungary where it's difficult to overtake, we could see them getting a good result. But I think in Canada this weekend. Overtaking is really easy with DRS. There's lots of long straights. And so it's going to be another difficult weekend for Ferrari, which is very disappointing for all of the Tifosi. But Pinks, I tell you, before we move on from Ferrari, can we doff our caps to Charles Leclerc? I don't know if you saw that he auctioned his Monaco race gear, his helmet, his overalls, his gloves. For the Emilia Romagna region, which is struggling, and it raised a staggering uh, £368,000. His helmet alone raised 262000 which is uh, a significant hike up from the previous record of a, a race worn Ayrton Senna helmet, which was auctioned for £139k a few years ago. So well done to Charles for raising so much money for that region, which is, of course, still trying to recover after that flooding. So that's at least something positive that we can say about Ferrari.
2: Bravo, Charles. That's great news story. I love it. And talking of news stories, Tom, James Key, it has been announced, will be joining Alfa Romeo as the new technical director replacing Jan Monchow. That role starts on the 1st of September. Um, he was, of course, at Sauber 2010 to 2012. And it's been said that it is a statement of intent from the team that they've signed James Key. Now, what's interesting to me is why he didn't necessarily work out at McLaren, but he is seen as a bit of a coup for Alfa Romeo. And remember, of course, that he did work alongside Andreas Seidel at McLaren. So it's not necessarily the person as an individual, but the dynamic between two people that can make great progress for a team. So Yeah, good luck to him. Good luck to the team. Hopefully that is a step in the right direction. Because you'd have to say for Alfa Romeo, it's been a somewhat disappointing season. I know uh, Joe had a great race in Barcelona. He was overjoyed by his result there. But it hasn't been the most straightforward of seasons. And it feels like last year's car doesn't just feel like it. It is the fact that last year's car was quicker than this year's car. So that must be disappointing for them overall. But glimmers of um, hope and light coming from Barcelona.
1: As you say, Joe Guanyu's P9 in Spain was a really aggressive race. I would say it was actually Joe's best race in Formula One so far. Just a quick word on on James Key going back there, because I think taken at face value, his tenure at McLaren has been a failure and it's resulted in a technical reshuffle at the team and him being shown the exit. But the fact that Seidel worked with him at McLaren and wants to work with him again... For a massive manufacturer that's coming in in 2026 would suggest that there were reasons far beyond James's ability as to why it didn't work at McLaren and Seidel still has faith in him. And actually, I saw Jan Monchot at the Spanish Grand Prix and this deal would have been done prior to that. So I wonder whether, although Jan is no longer continuing Um, as technical director, whether there may actually be a role for him at Sauber going forward. You know, we see chief technical officers now, don't we? Uh, So many Formula One teams who have a slightly longer term, technically strategic view. And I wonder whether Jan might take on that kind of a role and let uh, James deal with the sort of the day-to-day business of going racing for the team. But that's a really significant development. And I was, you know, there have been so many technical reshuffles up and down the paddock this year so many announcements made ahead really everyone looking at the 2026 rules and it had been very quiet at alfa romeo and i did catch up with Andreas seidel in spain and i I said to him it's all a bit quiet down here and he said well it's not going to be quiet for long but we're actually not going to make that many announcements uh, while we're still alfa romeo because we feel that's a bit disrespectful to alfa romeo and don't worry we're doing lots of work and positioning and jostling for position behind the scenes, but we're not going to make loads of announcements until Alpha leaves at the end of the year, and we come become Sauber, and that's when we can really start to build towards the Audi project in 2026.
2: Joe you did indeed have a great race in Barcelona, but it was at the expense of Yuki Tsunoda,
1: president and CEO of the Yuki I Fan Club. Know, Give know. us your thoughts.
2: The founder, CEO, chairwoman, president of the Yuki Tsunoda Appreciation Society has this to say, it did feel unfair. And I think Yuki's been on a bit of a roll and it felt as if he really did deserve to be in the points in Spain. Not to be, so my hope is that this has further galvanised the young Japanese driver and he will come out even stronger in Canada with a strong result. What do you think? Are you with me?
1: I, I am with you. And I think Yuki's been driving brilliantly this year and uh, and with such passion i don't know if you saw him after the race in spain but he was really gutted wasn't he oh yeah uh, i remember just that photograph of him slumped down next to a wall and just he was exhausted he was mentally struggling with what had happened because he was obviously going to finish in the points and then that 5 second penalty dropped him back to 12th but i think he'll come back fighting i think yuki has made i think the biggest step year on year of any driver on the grid 2022 into 2023. I think it's it's stunning um what he's been able to do. And actually, can we give a shout out to Michael Italiano who used to be Daniel Ricardo's trainer and is now working with Yuki. I think he has to take some credit for that transformation. I know they formed a very strong bond straight away because I mean they're not just trainers and coaches. It's it's so much of its mental and the drivers and their trainers spend more time together than with anyone else so i think he needs to take some credit and um yeah yuki will bounce back and my goodness Alpha tauri could do with some points they're what ninth at the minute on two so um you know in franz tost's farewell season give them some points come on yuki come on nick (laughs) so what are we going to do with our f1 fantasy team this week We'll keep Verstappen and Alonso as our lead drivers, but let's bring in Alfa Romeo's Joe Guanyu, who brilliantly scored points in Barcelona, and Esteban Ocon, who's on a roll at the moment after strong weekends in Miami, Monaco and Barcelona. We'll keep Yuki Tsunoda, but we'll lose Leclerc and Oscar Piastri. We'll bring them back in at some point later in the season. With those changes, we don't have the budget to bring Red Bull back as one of our constructors, so we'll have Mercedes as our second constructor alongside Aston. And Martin. That's our lineup for Canada. You can pick yours until the start of qualifying on Saturday. F1 Fantasy is totally free and you can join at any time. Our league is the F1 Nation World Championship. Search for that, enter your team, and play against us and other listeners.
2: Well, thank you for listening, everyone, and don't forget that the latest episode of our Formula Y podcast is out now, and it's all about simulators it's really interesting and for this week's beyond the grid tom has been chatting with none other than the f1 president and ceo stefano dominicali and he answers a lot of questions about formula one's future that's available from wednesday just search for formula y and beyond the grid in your podcast app so that's all from us we'll be back with f1 nation next monday with our 2023 canadian grand prix review
1: f1 nation is produced by formula one and audio boom studios